Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Conversations with Trellis, the online radio broadcast and podcast hosted by entrepreneur, author, speaker, and success coach Trellis Usher. Each week, Trellis and her guests share insights and techniques to help you live with more intention and authenticity. Leveraging the power of Trellis's blueprint framework, she will discuss intimate topics like relationships, finances, career, spirituality, health and nutrition, as well as broader topics like social justice, culture, gender and racial equity, and activism. Be sure to tune in each week to Conversations with Trellis for another informative and engaging show. But now, let's join Trellis and her guest in the studio for this week's broadcast. Good Wednesday morning. Good Wednesday morning, everybody. This is Trellis, and welcome to the conversation. I uh, hope you guys are having a great day and that your Wednesday morning is off to that your Wednesday is off to a great start. We got beautiful weather here in Atlanta today. It's sunny outside. I'm looking out of my window, but I think it's still cold. So I'm not I'm not gonna be tricked. The weather here has been so strange the last few probably most of this week and, and through the weekend. It looks warm outside, but it's chilly. And then you walk out there and it's, you know, with a sweater or something on and you're freezing. So hopefully spring is back. Um, I haven't ventured outside yet, but I'm going to go out in a little bit. And so hopefully spring is back and it's not like 55 degrees outside. So so welcome to the conversation. I'm happy that you guys are joining. Again, if you're going to join us uh, live on the conversation, then our call-in number for guests is 347 850 850-8096. We're taking a break today from our spring cleaning series that we've been on for the past couple of weeks because I happen to have gone to the uh, State of the Atlanta Black Tech Summit last night, and so I wanted to bring you some insights and updates from that. And so, uh, again, the, the conversation can really go wherever we take it, whatever happens to be going on in the culture, uh, whatever happens to be going on in the news, and so we'll talk a little bit about the black tech ecosystem system here in Atlanta. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with Starbucks. Um, and then we'll still talk a little bit about the blueprint and how all of this, you know, wraps and ties into that. So, again, um, on last evening, April what, 17th, uh, at the Gathering Spot, shout out to the folks over at the Gathering Spot. Woohoo! Member, I'm a member over at the Gathering Spot in Atlanta, which is a, a, it's really more than a co-working um, venue. It is sort of a social gathering place where entrepreneurs, business leaders, uh, members of the community gather to just talk about the various things that are going on in the city, the various things that are going on in business, that are going on in our companies, in our lives. Uh, and so it's a great spot. And so last night, the gathering spot hosted uh, 2018 State of Atlanta's Black Tech Ecosystem Summit. And I was in attendance there as a service provider, and um, again, I'm just always so inspired when I am around young people who are doing lots of great things. And I say young people, I mean, I'm young at heart, but, you know, um, age-wise, I'm getting on up there. Um, but I'm always so excited when I'm around this particular crew of folks that are doing great things in the tech space um, where women and uh, black folks are just seriously underrepresented. And so, you know, women and and black folks have said, well, we're going to, you know, start our own companies. We're going to found, um, we're going to develop products and services um, that are needed in the, in the world, 
not just in the black communities or the uh, communities of color. And, you know, we'll, we'll make our own path in. And so I'm always excited when I can sit with that, that kind of energy. So want to just bring some uh, insights from that. And so before I start to talk about sort of some highlights from the conversation is what do we mean when we talk about, you know, an ecosystem, an ecosystem? What does that mean? And so the way that it's been defined here that we've defined it is there are really eight categories um, that we look at when we think about uh, the ecosystem. And so what happened, the survey was sent out to several folks who are uh, in the Atlanta tech space, and we were scored on these various components or categories. And I think the scale was one to five. And so during the summit last night, they reviewed each of the scores for the categories and then talked a little bit about the current state and future state. What are the things that we can do to improve the score, improve the effectiveness of the tech ecosystem here in Atlanta? And so those eight categories, I'll just whip those off real quick for you. Let me get there. Um, ecosystem building assets. These are the people, entities, organizations, and our platforms specifically dedicated to end-to-end development of an authentic, inclusive innovation, entrepreneurship, investment ecosystem for all. So we've got system building assets. That's a component of it. Then we have the human assets component. These are either locally, regionally, nationally, or internationally well-known black people that actually work for a startup, full-time or part-time, located in Atlanta. And so that was, again, one area that we looked at and graded ourselves on the human assets. Then the next phase that we looked at were the education assets. These are the entities that either improve the quality of Atlanta, black tech startups, human assets, or are friendly to them. And so we kind of talked a little bit about current state there, what's going on, and what can we do to improve those educational assets. These are groups of people that either are comprised of, targeted at, or are friendly to black people in tech startup companies in Atlanta. So social assets, same sort of process, looked at the scoring, talked a little bit about current state, and then future state in terms of how we can improve. Physical assets, these are the physical places that are either owned, housed, or are friendly to black tech startup companies in Atlanta. And when we say Atlanta, we weren't just talking about Fulton County, Atlanta. We were really talking about the metro Atlanta area, so a much broader uh, geographic area. Financial assets. These are the entities that invest in or are friendly to black tech startup companies in Atlanta. So again, that was another um, area that we looked at and gave ourselves a score and then talked about current and future state. Service providers, this is sort of where TRLS group fits in and why I was even in the room. These are supporting businesses that service startup companies. And so everything from dev shops to design shops, marketing agencies, my group, uh, my company does sort of HR services, leadership development, and training, back office HR things, which a lot of times these new tech founders don't have. They might be very skilled at the technology or the product that they've developed, but how do you take that product or service and turn it into a business? There's a lot of back office that has to happen from a legal standpoint, a marketing standpoint, an IT infrastructure standpoint, and also from a talent, people, HR standpoint. Many of the tech founders, and it was one of the things that I heard loud and clear last night, that I and companies like mine can do more of in order to help these founders go from just sort of product or service to full-fledged business. 
is to make sure that we're providing services around some of the skills that they need, around um, some of the talent practices that they need. Again, if you're a tech founder and, you know, you go off and you're doing fundraising and, you know, the angels, you know, descend and you raise $2 million for your product or for your service, then you have to scale. You have to be able to grow. And as a tech founder, I may not know what it, I may not know how to write a job description. I may not know how I need to organize my team or my company from a from an org design standpoint. I don't know who the first person to call to try and get payroll and benefits set up. I don't know how to onboard employees. I don't know what I need to do to put performance management in place and how to make sure that when I'm hiring people, I'm interviewing them correctly. And so TRLS Group is looking to be able to help in, in an agency format type of way, provide those tactical, transactional, as well as strategic HR services to tech startups uh, in Atlanta. And so service providers is a really huge piece because um, to go from, from product or service or idea to a full-fledged business, there's a lot that has to happen there. And most tech founders are looking to make sure that they've got an exit strategy in, 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 in place. And so whatever your exit strategy is for your startup phase of your company, you need to make sure that these business, that the business infrastructure is in place because that's what companies are looking for when they're looking to, you know, to do that uh, later stage funding or to perhaps buy your product or your company. They're going to be looking for that kind of infrastructure. And so how can service providers really make sure that we're giving these uh, founders a good launch platform. So that was another piece. I just took a little longer there because that's really why I was in the room. So I was excited to to hear that the work that I'm doing and the way that I'm thinking about approaching um, the work for this particular target market is is spot on. So that was that was great news to hear. Uh, and then contributors, what they just asked is that everybody who had you know contributed to the conversation or contributed to uh, pulling the list together of all of the various resources and assets across these categories, this list their name. And everybody was in the room. I mean, there were business owners, there were, uh, you know, angel investors, there were VCs, there were attorneys, there were government folks, there were people on the, you know, association side or nonprofit side, uh, all there together trying to figure out how we can improve the state of, black, of the black tech ecosystem in Atlanta. We had a few folks that had been, uh, and a lot of the Atlanta founders also spend a lot of time on the West Coast, because one of the things that they talked about from the financial asset standpoint is how do we pull more uh, dollars? How do we get more funding in Atlanta? A lot of the tech founders expressed concern that uh, when they're looking for later stage funding, they have to end up going outside of the state. Pre-seed, seed, maybe, you know, first round of funding, you can find that kind of investment, those types of investors here in the Atlanta ecosystem. But when you're getting up to stage B and beyond, you may end up having to go outside of the state for VCs because there just doesn't seem to be the same um, amount of funding available in Atlanta. And we want to change that because we know that the money is here. One of the panelists um, pointed out to us that we've done everything, you know, in terms of music, you know, the, the black culture here in Atlanta, we sort of took music, we took hip hop and we sort of culture, made, it, made it part of mainstream culture. We took black film and, 
you know, everything that Tyler Perry and Will Packer and, you know, and, and just the film industry as a whole is doing now in Atlanta. I think, you know, Georgia is like top of the list uh, for new movies that came out uh, in 2017 in terms of films that had been filmed here. And so we did it for, uh, for the film industry. And uh, he expressed the point that we've kind of dropped the ball when it comes to tech, that, you know, we do have uh, a massive amount of black and brown people in this city who do well, who are educated. We've got two of the top HBCUs in the country in our city. And so when it comes to the black tech ecosystem, that we have to sort of get behind it in the same way that we have the film and the music industries. And I think the city is right to do it. I think our leadership uh, is, is all over it. I think they're open and amenable to making that happen. I think we have uh, enough companies that are HQ'd here. I think the talent is certainly here. And one of the other components that we talked about was the K through 12 ecosystem when it comes to uh, black tech. And so one of the upcoming series that they will be having, that we'll be having here is really around how do you integrate, how do you make sure that the pipeline is full? And so, of course, in the HR space and the leadership space, the pipeline is certainly something, the talent pipeline is certainly something that I understand, but how do we make sure that we have a strong, healthy pipeline coming all the way from elementary school, through high school, through college, so that our kids, when they come out into the world of work, and they have these wonderful ideas. They already understand business. They already understand technology. So we're doing a lot of work with STEM and STEAM in the Atlanta area to make sure that that pipeline is healthy. But we can do better. We can do better. And so I know that's going to be the focus of one of the future summits that's coming up is they'll specifically get into K-12, and then we'll also have a corporate series. How do – and this is, you know, a passion point of mine, being a person who comes out of corporate – but still feels like I'm in corporate uh, because all my clients consulting uh, practice. And so how do we make sure that there's a good bridge between corporate and the entrepreneurial black tech ecosystem? And what does that look like? And so I'm excited to, to work with the group to tr try and help uh, define that and structure it and see what it means. So, so that's kind of what, what we talked about last night. Again, if you, uh, are live with me on the call this morning and you want to call in, our call-in number is 347-850-8096. That's 347-850-8096 if you're live and on the air and you want to call in. And so, yeah, and so, again, I think one of the um, things that all of us can do is to really make sure that we're spreading the word. Another insight that I gained last night is that there is a lot of, we have a lot of companies that have um, women, um, people of color at the helm of them, startups that were founded that did go on to raise lots of money, but there doesn't seem to be a mechanism where the PR and the media is really behind in a big way, in a, in a, in a, you know, in a broader way behind those. Uh, one of the gentlemen mentioned that he had invested in a company and huge company, huge opportunity, but nobody knew about it. Nobody knew that it was a company. Nobody knew that it was um, started by a black founder. Nobody knew that several of the investors were black. 
And so, again, there doesn't seem to yet be this kind of mainstream PR push that you see with companies that are founded by non-black people or by males. And so what can we do from a media and a PR standpoint? And one of the things that occurred to me is that, you know, you think about Black Panther, that movie. I'm sure Disney has some money set aside for marketing, but I promise you the list that black people and black culture gave to that movie's promotion, thought about. But I really, truly believe that the success, the, large, the success of that movie was largely due to the way that the African-American community embraced it. And then, I mean, you couldn't, after the first trailer dropped, I mean, it was an ongoing sort of grassroots campaign up until the time that the movie came out. And people started clubs. They put Facebook groups together so that people could go to the movies together. Uh, African fabrics were flying off the shelves. Um, so it was just, it was, it was beautiful to see the power of community at work in a very positive way. And that's what it is. I think, you know, um, ethnic people tend to have, uh, you know, when it comes to community, we're community-driven, we're storytellers. And so I think we have to do the same thing around black tech, even if you don't understand it, even if you're a person who does not sit in the tech space, when you see great things happening in the tech space, share those on your social media feeds. When you hear about something and you feel like, oh, well, you know, maybe I won't share it or I'll only share it on LinkedIn because it's more of a business thing. And so my social circle won't necessarily understand the impact and the power of this. The only way they're going to do that is, is if someone in their community shares those things with them. And so I think how can we as individuals and as a community here in Atlanta as black folks, how can we really get behind uh, some of these startups and really help to push them forward so that there is awareness out there? You know, maybe there are people who feel like, you know, well, this is kind of just an IT thing, you know, so you have to be a programmer or a developer. And if you're not that, then black tech ecosystem doesn't really apply to you. You can afford to sort of ignore it. And I don't think that's the case. I think the great thing about the summit last night is that you'd had everybody in the room. It was not just the people who are starting the companies, developing the products, developing the service, because they need a village around them in order to make that thing fly. It can't, it, it, it's like the blueprint in that way, right? You need your dream team. You can't simply uh, exist uh, in the world as a startup founder and do any of it alone. There were accelerators uh, in, the, in the room last night. There were um, people from education and academia that were in the room last night. So it was, you know, so, so you need everybody. Everybody's got to come to the party. Everybody needs to bring their skills, their strengths, their passions. It all needs to be there. And then the community, the consumers, the people who actually consume the products, consume the services. We need to know what those products and services are and what they can do in order to help make our lives better. So, um, so, so that was that was sort of what I gained last night. That there there's a place and a role for everybody to play, and also for our, for our allies to play. But like Panther wasn't the box office success that it was because only black and brown people went to go see the movie. That's not what happened. A lot of people went to go see the movie. Black, brown, white, red, every other color um, went to go see that movie. But the, the wings underneath it, because of the amount of pride that I think black people felt 
in this idea of a superhero uh, headlining a movie, an all-black, predominantly black cast uh, located in a place, uh, a fictional place, but a place nonetheless in the African uh, diaspora. And so because of that pride, black people got underneath that movie in a way that we've not ever seen before, and we lifted it to over a billion dollars on all of our shoulders. And that's the same way that we need to do uh, and lift up some of these, um, all of these startup companies. And so they'll shake out. Not all of them will be great ideas. Some of them will go on to pivot and innovate and do different things. Um, they'll become something different than what maybe the founder originally had in mind. Uh, some of them will go away. We need to support them. We need to really get behind them as consumers and uh, figure out ways that we can, that we can um, help them fly. So that was, that was my charge, my personal challenge to myself as I came out last night as a black entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, my company is not a startup, um, but my new company is a startup. So I just started another one. But more about that uh, another day. But, yeah, just really excited about what I saw and witnessed and heard at the summit last night. And so I would ask you guys, if you have an interest in helping to build and improve and strengthen Atlanta's black tech ecosystem, to uh, be in touch, I'll put a couple of links in the comments off of this episode. But do some research. I mean, you know, go out and Google. That was another thing that we heard loud and clear, that information is available and training is available, know-how is available, and there are resources, there are education resources that have more formally structured types of programs and services and training, um, like my own, but there are also free resources that are available on the Internet. I mean, we're living in a time now where you can find out how to do just about anything or at least get um, some foundational knowledge about a particular subject. So I would encourage folks just, you know, if part of just being a good citizen of the metro Atlanta is to know what's going on in your city. So I'd encourage you to go out and just Google and find out what's going on with Atlanta's black tech ecosystem, who are the players, who are the folks that you want to know, what companies, what schools, agencies, organizations are all helping to improve the state of the black tech ecosystem here in Atlanta. And just, just get, up to, get up to speed, get some, get some knowledge on, on what's going on. And, and uh, you probably have somebody in your network, in your family or a friend or somebody who's plugged in. And so find out who those people are and find out how you can sort of stay, stay plugged in. The other thing is there are lots of startup founders that are looking for angel investors, and you don't have to have a boatload of money to be an angel investor. You know, you can invest $1,000. You can invest $5,000. And so um, find, a founder, find a founder that you believe in who has a product or a service or a business idea that you really believe in and, and, and help get that going. So, again, you can be uh, an investor and help in that way. So I think there's a role for everybody to play is my point, right, kind of a long-winded way around it. But my point <laughs> is that everybody can play a role in helping to improve uh, the ecosystem here in Atlanta and, and really help to, to put it on the map in a way that we can create a model here that can then be replicated across the country. So if we can have success, if we can make it work here in Atlanta, we can find a way to make it work in other cities across the country. And so that's part of what the group is endeavoring to do, right? So 347-850-8096, call in number 347-850-8096. On to Starbucks, right, speaking of black 
<laughs> on to Starbucks. Um, and so you guys know this last week and a half or so, Starbucks has been in the news, but video has gone viral. Um, so there's not anybody who probably does not know um, what was sort of the impetus for the Starbucks being in the news. And it was a manager at Starbucks. Apparently two guys came in, uh, wanted to use the restroom. Starbucks has a policy that you have to be a paying customer in order to use the restroom there. And so the men came in. They did not purchase anything at first. They sat down. I'm assuming they went ahead and went to the restroom. And then they came out and sat down to uh, wait on a friend. And that's kind of what Starbucks has promoted itself as to. Many of the comments that I've been leaving this week has been, you know, Starbucks promotes itself as kind of the social hangout spot where you come to wait on your friends or your clients, and then when they get there and you buy a cup of coffee, you sit down and you do your business meeting or have your conversation and catch up or whatever. So that happened, but apparently the manager was not satisfied that they had not bought anything and called the cops. And the men were arrested, subsequently arrested, and escorted out of Starbucks in handcuffs because they used bathroom and didn't leave. And I think the charge was trespassing or something like that. And it's obvious that it was bogus because the charges were pretty much immediately dropped after that. So had these guys really done something criminal, then I don't know that that would have happened. But it speaks to a broader issue of bias and poor judgment, in my opinion. And, you know, being a person who works in human uh, capital and, and talent and diversity and inclusion, and consults in that work and has been in that space for nearly 20 years now. Um, it's clear bias. And the point is that, you know, these black men were criminalized for doing something that everybody has done, you know, that, that white people do, that black people get criminalized for things, not just harassed, but criminalized, right? We get harassed too, but we get criminalized. I mean, you call the cops because of I don't know what. I mean, once the gentleman told the manager that they were waiting for a friend, I don't even understand why she felt the need to continue to press the point. What, you know, what was it that she just would not let, you know, like a dog with a bone, just would not let it go and was, you know, um, felt like, no, we've got to do something. And, you know, what I think I need to do is I need to call 911. And so Starbucks came out yesterday, CEO Kevin Johnson, to his credit, and, again, it's reactive, but it is a good first step. And on May 29th, they're going to be closing down their 8,000 corporate-owned stores to run everybody through some bias. I think that's a good first step. I think what they need to do is make sure that it's integrated. And this is, again, some of the work and some of the consulting and coaching that I give to, to business leaders and executives. You cannot – it can't just be about the optics. You can't just do something that makes it look like you're really addressing inclusion and harassment and discrimination in the workplace. You can't simply hire a black or a female chief diversity officer or someone who's gay. You can't be so concerned about the optics because that's only going to get you part of the way. That, will get, that move will get folks off of his back until May 29th, right? So until that happens, until the training happens, people will kind of give them a pass because there'll be, you know, there'll be some goodwill. Okay, well, he's doing something. The company's doing something. And, um, but the way that you sustain it is it has to be integrated in all of your talent practices. So it has to be in your regular manager and leadership training. 
you can't shut the stores down uh, every three months to do something like this. And so what you need to do is as you are hiring and promoting and onboarding new leaders, they need to go through that training at that point, right? Because now what you have is you have all of these incumbent store managers and you aren't sure whether or not they get it. So you have to stop everything, you got to stop the bus, take everybody off, take them to a training class, put them back on and send them back to work. And that's very costly and expensive. And so the way that you get at it is you need to embed this bias training in your leadership um, development program across the board. Um, the other thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that it is embedded in your performance management process, the, the desired behavior. And that way, uh, if it comes up again, you can address that specific manager or those specific managers, but now you have now you have a competency or a value or something that is built into your performance management system so that when people are not meeting those expectations, there are consequences to that, and it's integrated. It's not this one-off type of a thing that you have to do. So embedded in your performance management process. The other thing that you have to do is you need to make sure that you have a robust um, reporting type of infrastructure. So when people feel that they're being harassed, customers, consumers, and employees, right? So you may have um, harassment, discrimination going on in your workplaces between employees, or you have situations like this where it's an employee and one of your customers. And so you have to have a robust feedback mechanism for reporting. If I go into a store uh, and I feel like I've been harassed or discriminated or profiled in some way, is there a mechanism online, um, an email address, a phone number, a hashtag, something that I can use to say, hey, Starbucks, you got something brewing over here. You may want to watch out. You know, I was in this store a couple of times last week, and there was a manager there and the level of service just didn't seem to be on par, not sure if anything was happening, but this is how it made me feel as a customer. And so just wanted to let you know so that you could get on top of it before something really jumps off. So do you have a, a robust feedback mechanism in place so that whether you're an employee or customer, if you feel that you're being harassed or discriminated against or just something wonky is going on, you have a way to let the corporate office know about that. So you need to make sure that you have something like that in place. The other thing that I recommend um, and that I do is you need a full audit of all of your talent practices, everything from how and where you source talent to hiring practices, to pay practices, onboarding, training, promotion, performance management, succession. All of your talent practices, you need to audit them to make sure that inclusive behaviors are built in, that what it is you want people to, that's how you build culture. Culture is an outcome. Everybody wants to sort of say, well, we want to build a high-performing culture. We want to build an innovative culture. We want to build an inclusive culture. You have a culture right now. It just may not be the one that you want. And guess what? You built it over time through the behaviors, the attitudes, the practices um, of that organization. And so if you have a culture where people are constantly harassed or discriminated against, guess what? You built it. It's that way because those types of behaviors were allowed to run rampant for so long that now you have a hostile work environment for some people who work for you. 
And so whatever your culture is to be, you're going to have to build it. And so if and, – and, and I also t- typically say that if your company is more than about 10, 15, 20 years old, there is inherent bias built into your talent practices. There's no way for it not to be. This idea of really being intentional about inclusion is only about 10, 12 years old, honestly. Before, it was really just optics. Companies were talking it, but they weren't walking it yet. And so now with the pressures of social media, companies are really starting to get it uh, in a big way. But if your company is older than about 15 years old, I promise you there are some talent practices that you have that have bias in them. From the way you interview people, we know that the way you pay people isn't, isn't equal because, you know, women are making less than men and black women and Latin women are making less than white women. So we know that from a pay practices standpoint, there's not equity. But not just pay, probably hiring, promotion, succession, you know, identification of high potentials, you know, all of those things that have to do with how you manage talent in your organization probably have some inherent bias in them. And so you need somebody to come in who can partner with your internal team who can help you conduct that audit. I'll raise my hand. We do it. We can help you. Um, But if not me, somebody. Because the other thing is that the internal team is part of the system. So they won't be able to see all of the bias because they're too steeped in it, right? So you really need somebody externally to come in and call BS on some of your talent practices. Your internal team, trust me, I've done it enough times. The internal team gets very busy, very quickly defending a lot of what's there. And if you're really going to address this in a, in a real way, Starbucks, then um, you probably need some help from the outside, somebody to come in and audit those. And there's always low-hanging fruit. I mean, I just ripped, you know, just ripped off three things you know, right there, making sure you've got a robust feedback system, um, making sure that you can look at things that are low-hanging, like pay, where you can sort of close the gap. And um, so there are some, there's some low-hanging fruit usually when we do these talent audits. And there are two or three things that I can always find that I'm like, okay, if you just fix that and that and that, that'll get you great returns. That'll keep you out of jail. That'll keep you from sitting across from somebody who is serving you with uh, a lawsuit. So there are a few things that you can do right away usually, but it, but it really does require some excavation because uh, and it's not intentional. I mean, in the HR space, we know that there's disparate treatment, but there's also disparate impact, which means you weren't, you didn't have to be trying to build a harassing culture. You didn't have to be trying to build a culture where women uh, make less than men. You weren't. You didn't have to be intentional about that. But you should have been is the point. And so if you ended up um, where you got a slate of people identified as high potential in the company or in a particular function in the company, and they all happen to be white men, or 90% of them happen to be white men, and you have one female thrown in for good measure. It doesn't matter that you weren't intentionally trying to do that. You, it, it's done, and so you have to address it. You have to look at it and say, okay, well, this isn't right. Um, no more than if, if all of a sudden if all of your high potential, if your entire high potential slate was all black with one white person. People would look at that very quickly in a large company and be like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't look right, right? It's because it's not right. It's impossible that you have 90% only 
of people who are high potential. If that is the case, you aren't looking hard enough and you aren't looking in the right places, and you may have bias built into the way you define high potential, right? So that's what I mean when I say there's inherent bias built in. Even the very way that we might be defining something like who is high potential talent in our organization, that there may be bias in it. For example, education. Maybe you have people in your organization who did not have a traditional journey when it came to their education. I know that I didn't. I did not finish college right out of high school. I went a year, and then I took a lot of years off because I started a family. I got married. You know, that's a topic for another day for people who don't know my story. But if you're looking at high potential talent, and if you have built in a waiting on education that, that, that creates disparate impact because you have maybe um, people of color or women in your organization who took less traditional paths to their academic, um, their academic journey, then they may all of a sudden be sliced out of being defined as high potential talent. Now, it does not mean that they're not doing the job. Obviously, they're there. They're doing the job. Obviously, their name came up when we started looking at calibration and figuring out who were the people that could be high potential. Obviously, they had great performance records, right? But that one thing, when you put that filter on it, if all of a sudden 80% of your black and brown uh, candidates are now X'd out, then you need to look at how you're defining high potential. And especially in this day and age when a lot of people have less traditional uh, academic journeys. And when, when what's being proven is that somebody who has a 10-year uh, or 15-year-old PhD or master's degree isn't necessarily better equipped to do a job than somebody who's got maybe an associate's degree with five or six years or eight years of actual work experience. Right? So when we look at those talent practices, we help you to figure out where you may have inherent bias built in because you're never going to, to create an inclusive and engaging culture for the few people of color that you might have in the senior ranks, as I'm thinking about, you know, high potential talent promotion succession. You're never going to create an environment where they quite feel like they belong. And, I, you know, I don't necessarily get down with that term belonging because I think um, it's another way that we sort of whitewash the whole diversity and inclusion conversation. Um, but if you don't have a culture where everybody feels engaged and like they've got a shot with hard work to excel and be promoted and be valued and appreciated for the work that they do, you're never going to be able to accomplish that if you have that kind of inherent bias built in. And, it's, and some of it is out in the open and it's easy to identify. Some of it is tucked away uh, and buried, and you have to go looking for it. You have to know what to look for, and then you have to go kind of dig it out. Like, how do we define? How do we define high potential? How do we build leaders? How do we define leadership? Um, all of those things are important. So, so Starbucks, um, get it together, Mr. Johnson. I wish you the best. Um, I thank you for the bold step, even though. Uh, it probably was late, but most of us are reactive. Most of us don't realize that there's pain or anything going on in our lives or in our bodies until, you know, we drop dead, uh, not drop dead, but pass out on the on the ground or clutch our chest from, you know, heart pains or um, go to the doctor and they tell us that we need to lose weight or we develop some sort of illness or disease. So most of us are reactive, right? So I don't 
um, you know, so Starbucks as a company made up of people isn't going to be any different than that. But now that you know that you might have a disease or you might have an illness in your culture, I appreciate you taking the first bold step. But, again, hopefully um, it won't stop there. Hopefully you'll audit your practices. Hopefully you will embed uh, inclusion and inclusive behaviors all along your employee life cycle and, and integrate it with your other talent practices so that you can get to these managers as soon as they come in the door or as soon as you promote them into positions of leadership. Have them go work in stores that are in communities where most of the customers don't look like them. You know, just have people, you know, black culture is a funny thing. I mean, we, you know, it's, it, you know, we kind of roll a little differently some things. You know, we're a little loud sometimes. We're a little, you know, it's just part of who we are. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Beyonce's uh, Coachella performance that everybody is running, is, is going crazy over, including myself, um, because I just think it was fabulous. And the way that she, you know, unapolog- unapologetically displayed, uh, black culture and HBCUs and the music and the dancing and, and all of those things were so powerful. And if you were not, if you were, if you were on Mars and you sort of came down and you saw Coachella, you might have been freaking out. What in the world is she doing? What is going on? What are all those horns and why are people dancing so hard and you know, what's all this stuff that she's got on, you know, with a cape and a, uh, you know, a crown and, you know, what's really going on. And so, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of these things can be addressed sometimes by just getting to know some people in a culture that is different than your own. And if you are going to be in any sort of a customer service job, and I consider a manager at Starbucks as customer service, your job there is to make sure that those customers are having uh, the kind of experience that your company wants for them to be having. And so your job is customer service. And and you just have to know that, you know, demographics are changing and shifting, and so you need to get familiar. And so so that every time you just see black men sitting somewhere, you don't get scared. You know, you're not afraid for your life. And so you have to call in the cops because people are sitting on a couch and sitting on a chair waiting on a friend. Somehow that's seen as threatening um, to you. And so I think, you know, maybe have them shadow store managers in other locations where there is a more um, diverse um, customer base so that they um, just develop a level of comfort um, with being around people who don't look like that. And, and again, it's not that this maker, this manager, that wasn't her problem. But, you know, as a, as a whole, when you think about inclusion and how to create culture, and how to kind of eliminate some of that bias, you want to, um, you know, you want to make sure that you have something in there that helps, that helps to do that. If they can't do that, do something with your employee resource group and uh, make sure that every store manager is plugged into one or two employee resource groups that, again, represent some culture that is different than their own. So maybe you have people in the black employee, you know, maybe you have your black store managers go spend some time with the Asian uh, American resource group or spend some time with the LGBTQ resource group? How do you just make sure that you help people get comfortable? Because unfortunately, in our regular lives, sometimes we do stay isolated and among our own kind, and um, we don't get out as much. And so that can create some problems sometimes. Again, not in this particular instance, but more broadly for people um, who are, you know, in out in the marketplace dealing with customers. So 
Um, Mr. Kevin Johnson, call me if you need me. I know you got a boatload of fixers and you got everybody that's helping you out. And, um, um, Brian, um, who, who else did I see on the list that was um, that was helping you out? I know Equal Justice Initiative is helping you out. I think I saw the NAACP. So he's got a boatload of people who are working to help them pull off this training on May 29th. So we'll be looking forward to that and seeing what happens with that. But, sir, beyond that, you need to make sure that you go a little bit deeper um, to hopefully avoid something like this happening in the future. But, again, to also just create a great work environment and a great um, overall environment for your customers and your stores. So that's it. Um, that's my conversation. So, again, get plugged into the Atlanta Black Tech ecosystem, figure out how you can help and support there, and let's watch and see what happens with Starbucks. And hopefully they're taking it seriously, but we'll, be, we'll certainly be watching. So thanks again, guys, for joining the conversation, and I will chit-chat with you on next Wednesday. Remember, whatever your life is going to be, whatever your business is going to be, it has to be by design. So thanks again for joining the conversation, and I'll talk with you next time. Bye-bye.